On August 22, 1939, just days before he and his forces were set to invade Poland, Chancellor Adolf Hitler of Nazi Germany gave a speech to the Wehrmacht, the Nazi Unified Armed Forces, at his home in Obersalzberg in the Bavarian Alps. In it, he divulged his plans upon landing there, during which time he would begin systematically wiping out the ethnic Polish population so as to make way for Lebensraum, literally living space, a reference to the desire for German sovereignty over neighboring countries and ultimately the whole of Europe. It isn't until the last sentence of the third paragraph, however, that he says something rather ominous with regards to his plan for ethnic cleansing. Who, after all, speaks today of the annihilation of the Armenians? This comment, no doubt meant to be a passing remark to justify his plans, is frightening on many levels, for it offers a glimpse into the mind of a murderous tyrant who will stop at nothing to gain absolute power. It's also a crass, albeit tragic statement, a reminder of yet another great atrocity that predated what will become known as the Holocaust, and took place not during World War II, but in the previous global conflict. From 1915, the height of World War I, through the early 1920s, some 1.5 million Armenians were slaughtered at the hands of the Ottoman Empire. And yet, despite clear and obvious historical evidence, those responsible have still not accepted culpability over a century later. What led up to the Armenian Genocide? Why was this group of people specifically targeted? And how do the descendants of its victims continue to feel its effects? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. As touched upon in the episode on the Greek War for Independence, the Ottoman Empire, based in present-day Turkey, lasted for over 600 years. In that time, it had gained a considerable amount of land, with some 32 provinces and several vassal states at its height in the 17th century. Of these, some were absorbed into the empire directly, while others enjoyed various forms of autonomy. As to be expected from such a vast swath of territory, a plethora of races, ethnic and religious groups fell under its jurisdiction. Among these were the Armenians, an ancient people and culture that had called the region of the Caucasus Mountains between Europe and Asia home for centuries before they eventually fell to the Ottoman rule in the 15th century. By the time this tiny country became absorbed into the Ottoman Empire, it had exchanged hands several times. Its strategic location on the cusp of two continents, and essentially wedged between Russia and Turkey, made it a highly sought-after location by the likes of the Persian Empire, the Greeks, the Roman Empire, the Arabs, the Mongol Empire, the Byzantine Empire, and the Turks, among others. But it wasn't always tossed like a ball between different sovereign states. It also enjoyed several periods of autonomy as well. With origins dating back to the Bronze Age, legend has it that the first Armenian kingdom was established way back in the 22nd century BC, when its founder, the mythic patriarch Haik Nahapet, defeated a Babylonian invasion force. Countless other Armenian kingdoms would be established throughout the millennia, most notably the Kingdom of Armenia in antiquity, which lasted from 321 BC to AD 428, and was presided over by three royal dynasties, the Orontid, 321 BC to 200 BC, the Artaxiad, 189 BC to AD 12, and the Arsacid, AD 52 to 428. In the AD 4th century, it became the first country in the world to adopt Christianity as its official religion, when its king, Tiridates III, was converted by one Saint Gregory the Illuminator. Prior to this, the Armenians practiced their own pagan faith, which boasted multiple gods and entities. Fast forward to the 15th century. 
Now under Ottoman control, the Armenians were granted some forms of autonomy, but were nonetheless seen as outsiders or infidels because they were Christian. As such, they were required to pay higher taxes than their Muslim counterparts. Though this was certainly unfair and unjust, the Armenians nevertheless thrived under Ottoman authority. They were largely well-off financially in comparison to their Turkish overlords, and were well-educated to boot. It wasn't long before resentment over these successes began to arise amongst the Turks, so much so that, by the 19th century, Ottoman leaders decided that something had to be done. As the years went by, suspicion, too, grew between the Ottoman heads of state and their Armenian subjects. The sultans feared open revolt against the government, thinking that these people would be more loyal to a Christian sovereignty than a Muslim one, namely the Russian Empire, with whom the Turks shared an unstable border. By the 1880s, fed up with such treatment, Armenians began fighting for basic civil rights, which sent the then-sultan, Abdul Hamid II, to make a rather ominous statement in an 1890 report. I will soon settle those Armenians, he said. I will give them a box on the ear which will make them relinquish their revolutionary ambitions. As to be expected, there were no plans for revolution attributed to the Armenians. But, regardless, the sultan was true to his word, and the first state-sanctioned practices against them were soon underway. Beginning in 1894, a pogrom, or organized massacre of a particular ethnic group, as defined in Webster's English Dictionary, was carried out in response to several large-scale protests in favor of Armenian civil rights. The pogrom, led by a force of Turkish military leaders, soldiers, and even ordinary people, affected a number of Armenian villages and towns who had nearly all of their citizenry massacred. Over the course of the next two years, hundreds of thousands of Armenian lives would be lost thanks to the violence, but it was only a precursor of even worse events to come. In 1908, a new order was established in the Ottoman Empire when a group of reformers, calling themselves the Young Turks, deposed Sultan Abdul Hamid II and established a constitutional government, the first of its kind in that country. At first, the Armenians, who had been fighting so long for equality in the eyes of the law, were optimistic that they would, at last, have a voice and representation in this newly formed state. But they soon realized how wrong they were. For the Young Turks were in actuality an extremist nationalist organization, whose objective it was to spread Turkish influence throughout the empire, which had little room for non-Turks, specifically those of the Christian faith, who were seen as nothing more than treasonous traitors, who would turn on the government at the drop of a hat. As such, several Christian ethnic groups, such as the Assyrians, the Greeks, and especially Armenians, were portrayed as a grave threat to national security, and treated as such. As if the Armenians' predicament wasn't already bad enough, to make matters worse, in 1914, war broke out in Europe when a Serbian nationalist organization known as the Black Hand assassinated Archduke Franz Ferdinand of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. The Ottoman Empire joined the conflict on the side of the Central Powers, that is, Germany and the aforementioned Austro-Hungarian Empire, and in turn waged a jihad, that is, holy war against all Christians, with the exception of their allies. It was at this time that Turkish military leaders really began to hunker down on Armenians, claiming that they would prove to be traitors and turn against the empire in favor of the opposing side, the Triple Entente, Britain, France, and Russia, so that they could gain independence once more. Indeed, some individual Armenians and Armenian factions did, in fact, or organized battalions on a volunteer basis to aid the Russian army. This, combined with the Turks' suspicion in general, led to the Ottoman government's removal of Armenians from war zones along the Eastern Front. So it was that, on April 24, 1915, the Armenian Genocide began. 
Just as the Nazis did several years later, the Turks began by targeting and slaughtering several intellectuals, namely of Armenian descent. The death toll ranged in the hundreds before the government turned its wrath upon Armenian citizens in general, forcing them from their homes and sending them on death marches across the ancient Mesopotamia region of the Near Eastern Desert and what's now Iraq. As to be expected, the victims weren't allowed food or water, and were often forced to rid themselves of their clothes. Thus, completely naked, they were made to walk several miles in hot and arid conditions before succumbing to the elements. Those who didn't die as a result of the marches were shot. To make matters worse, the Young Turks created a special task force of butcher battalions and killing squads, whose sole purpose was, in their own words, quote, to liquidate Christian elements, unquote. These state-sponsored groups were comprised of a wide array of ex-convicts, including murderers and rapists. Their savagery included, among other things, drowning people in rivers, burning them alive, crucifying them, and tossing them off cliffs. Barbarous, medieval tortures that, though outlawed in much of Europe by that point, were resurrected for the sole purpose of instilling fear into the Armenian population. But, believe it or not, this wasn't the worst of what the hapless victims faced. In some areas, Armenian women were raped and forced to join harems, where they served as sexual and domestic slaves for their male Turkish overseers. Small children were kidnapped in the middle of the night by government forces and sent to Turkish homes where they were forced to convert to Islam. In addition, Muslim families were moved into the Armenians' abandoned homes, where they were free to seize the property and assume control of the possessions. This was the reality for the Ottoman Empire's Armenian population for eight long years, outlasting the duration of the Great War itself. Upon the conflict's conclusion on November 11, 1918, the Young Turks' leaders defected to Germany, where they could escape prosecution for their war crimes. In response, a group of Armenian nationalists calling themselves Operation Nemesis, after the Greek goddess of revenge and divine retribution, carried out a series of assassinations in the years following the war, all of them key players in the genocide. Perhaps the most famous and notorious of these targets was Talat Pasha, the former Grand Vizier of the Ottoman Empire, and the main mastermind behind the atrocities. On March 15, 1921, Pasha was assassinated by Operation Nemesis operative Sohomon Tehlirian in Berlin. When put on trial, the young student famously stated that, quote, I have killed a man, but I am not a murderer, unquote. He was acquitted of all charges. Though some of the biggest perpetrators of the Armenian genocide were ultimately and rightfully brought to justice, it did little to quench the devastation and ravages suffered by its target population. Prior to World War I, the Ottoman Empire boasted some two million Armenians. By the genocide's conclusion in 1923, only some 388,000 had survived. To add salt to the wounds, the Turkish government to this day has neither apologized for the atrocities it carried out, nor even acknowledged that they ever occurred. In addition, several Western nations, including the United States, due to close ties with Turkey, have also refused to officially recognize the Armenian Genocide as a crime against humanity. As such, each year on April 24th, the anniversary of the start of this tragedy, Armenians around the world come together to address the issue at hand, implicating Turkey as well as drawing attention to the sadly oft-overlooked massacre. Hitler's disgustingly heartless statement of the remembrance of the Armenian Genocide is remembered for its crassness and inhumanity, but will it continue to ring true if neither Turkey nor its allies officially recognize this heinous crime? Let's pray that it doesn't. Indeed, the eyes of Armenians around the world will be on President Biden this coming Saturday, the 106th anniversary of the genocide, at which time he is slated to officially recognize the atrocity. But will he? Indeed, we shall see. Thank you so much for listening. 
I hope this episode has enlightened you and shined light on a devastating event that rocked the early years of the 20th century. It's critical and crucial that the Armenian Genocide be studied and covered in classrooms and history books, as the perpetrators to this day refuse to acknowledge that it ever happened. At this time, all we can do is spread the word and raise awareness in the hopes that, one day, Turkey will finally accept culpability. Be sure to tune in next Thursday and every Thursday for a brand new episode of the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time.